I'd be absolutely stunned if we get through the next hour without there being some sort of outage. I might take a screenshot at the promotional at some point but I'll, I'll send them to you for uh... <laughs> yeah you, you just gotta watch that paddy last time george's colleague did it i looked like i was wearing this almighty inflatable fat suit yeah which turned out to actually be my own body it was really traumatic hey hello everyone everyone being one person but welcome back to the digital <laughs> studio where today we have as our captive guest Paddy from B&Q. So uh, let's do the introductions first. I know Georgia tells me off otherwise. I'm Ian, Editor-in-Chief of Internet Retailing. Uh, Georgia, tell everyone who you are. Hi, I am Georgia Scott, Head of Marketing at Adobe and Chief Keeper of... of the introductions uh, on this podcast. Standards. You know, there's there's no substitute for good standards. Uh, no. Paddy, welcome to you. Tell our listener who you are. Hi there. I'm Paddy Earnshaw, and I'm the Customer and Digital Director here at B&Q. Lovely. So two things you have to go into straight away. So firstly, tell us a bit about B&Q, and then what your role entails. It sounds amazing, but what is it? So paint a picture first of B&Q, just in case there's anybody who hasn't visited. Yes, no worries. So B&Q is a home improvement business and you'll know it from, uh, if you do know it, you'll know it from any DIY jobs that you may have had uh, at home or in your garden. And part of B&Q is a business called TradePoint, which is our business that focuses on the trade. It helps general builders um, with their needs. And so uh, we serve the DIY market and the do-it-for-me market. And B and Q oh, and Trade Point. That's it. Exactly right. You see, you're all over the acronyms already. In, that's it. I'm there. In the food. <sighs> Goodness, you did the research. That would have been uncomfortable, wouldn't it? And uh, B and Q and Trade Point are part of the Kingfisher Group, which also owns uh, Screwfix, uh, well-known brand here in the UK, and uh, in France, Castorama France, Brico Depot, and other home improvement businesses around Europe. Fantastic. Well, look, as somebody who recently donated my unused Makita because I'd had it for 12 years and never used it for anything, mm. I'm definitely the DIFM end of DIY. Um, but before we talk about you, because obviously this is the most fascinating bit, is tell us a bit about TradePoint. Because if you've hired a person who can, then they nip off in their van and come back with things. What do they have as a need that you or I don't? So the first thing I thought of was they want to take the prices off so they can not admit they've just nipped to B&Q, but there must be more to trade point to satisfy that professional tradesman than simply a, a different uh, different type of price. Yeah, of course. No, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question and one that over time the business has probably wrestled with a little bit. But when you bring it back to its core essentials, it is pretty simple. First up, the trade will, because they're dealing with the products day in, day out, they'll want a keen price. They'll also want a real guarantee around availability. So they want convenience. They want to make sure that when they're readying themselves for a day or they're prepping the night before a job that they can fill their vans with all of the things that they'll need just to carry out the next day's activities. Of course, with that, clearly because they're shopping repeatedly and they're high-frequency shoppers, they'll want a scheme or a retention scheme or a loyalty package that works well for them. And I think ultimately their 
time is money for the trade. And so any downtime off a job where you're waiting for something or you're uh, you're not getting the delivery you need, that's lost time and therefore lost productivity. So trade point serves that need to a specific audience and is a significant part of B&Q's UK business and is a sort of, the, if you like, a, a hidden gem that not that many people know about. Mm. Hidden gem. Tell us, therefore, about your role because people are listening thinking he obviously got the job because he's chief DIY person. Um, but obviously not. So tell us, tell us what you do there, and you know what attracted you to the role. Yeah. You know, away from your previous ones. I mean, the scope for career limiting answers on this podcast are apps is absolutely <laughs> enormous. Um, no, but in the spirit of authenticity and vulnerability, <laughs> two of my core values, I'll go for it. Um, I am definitely not the chief DIY person. Um, in fact. Between my wife and I, I am the second most likely to be rejected for the position of chief DIYer at home. At least you made it to second. I'm not the most. <laughs> I'm the chief DIYer, just so so we can now establish on this podcast out of the three of us. I love that. that it's me. And the, and the reality, I mean, it, it, you know, this is, I can even go back to the moment when I didn't become chief DIYer at home with my dad in the garage, <laughs> where he gave me the choice of saying, you can either stand here and learn how to do DIY or you can go back inside and study and I just turned on my oh turned my on God. my heel and said see dad love you and walked back inside and picked up a book that is a therapy that is a therapy moment well I, but worryingly I now found myself here um at B&Q and I think that the reality is that um there's so many people in the UK who are brilliant at home improvement themselves and there's a number of people who clearly need others to do it for them and actually, the, the strength of B&Q and TradePoint is the democratization of that ability. It's a, we're a specialist home improvement uh, company. And when it comes to, um, you know, sort of being not the chief DIYer, I, I argue with friends when I get teased about my inability to carry out home improvements at home. I argue with my friends that actually that probably makes me the most likely person to get the job because my role as a neat segue is about helping consumers around the UK understand how accessible home improvement is to them. And so I, mm. uh, as part of my role, I look after the e-commerce business, so DIY.com, and with that comes the TradePoint site and the, our Irish site. But I also look after uh, all of the marketing activity for the business and the brand, and I have that trusted position of looking after the B&Q heritage, which is a you know, an amazing honor. Then from a customer standpoint, that includes uh, customer data, the analytics therein and data science related to it, it relates to the loyalty uh, propositions that we have, customer insight, um, and the way in which we build propositions so that we try and attract a greater share of the UK home improvement market. So it's a super interesting role, um, pretty broad, but one that brings its fair share of uh, challenge but also reward as well and how does that fit in because it sounds you know like you do everything so you're selling online you're making the customer promise mm. driving demand i assume there's a retail director yeah. as well looking after the stores but um how does that fit in then with board colleagues are you maybe not mr diy but mr 
sell it yourself or is it is it balanced out uh, you'd expect me to say it, but it is a, it's a massive team effort so there is a retail director um paul crisp who looks after all of our stores and day-to-day has accountability for our colleagues as well so there's twenty-eight thousand colleagues um, that work across the business and and that is in itself a military operation but Another board member, Paul White, who looks after commercial, so all of the buying, merchandising, visual merchandising, um, the relationships with vendors, as you can imagine, with a business that's doing billions in sales, um, that is not an inconsiderate, an inconsiderable task. And then clearly we've got functional leads um, for technology strategy, biz dev, people team, and and collectively we pull together to to ensure that customers get what they want the the onus on me though i suppose there's there's two important parts to it i have to play the customer into the conversation if i'm not doing it then who will of course everyone does that you know jeff our cfo will play the customer in graham our ceo is an enormous advocate of taking the customer perspective if we weren't frankly i think you'd probably be wondering why i'm sat talking to you today but i have uh, that is a core responsibility of mine to make sure that we've thought about what's the balance on a commercial decision for the for the consumer and the second thing in regard to that that role of bringing insight is what else is happening outside of bnq so with a with a large organization it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day of trading making sure that you're doing the right things for your colleagues and your people and you're developing the teams. There has to be, you know, a group of us who look up and look out and look beyond. And I think that that's hopefully where the balance comes quite well from us as a leadership team here at B&Q is we are spending more and more time looking out and looking across to see what others are doing. And Graham's definitely, Graham, our CEO, has brought um, that to be kind of part of our core culture, which has been excellent. Mm. Into I've got this uh, vision of a DIY meerkat now, sort of poking their head up and scanning the horizon. Which I think is actually a really good visual aid for making sure you stay competitive. So I'm conscious that in in the format this is in, people are you know maybe in their car listening um, and and trying to sort of imagine what the hell do they mean. The reality is that this is not a space now that's occupied by solely the traditional likes of Wix, Travis Perkins, Homebase. Mm-hmm. There are so many home improvement companies now. There are vertical specialists, there's direct-to-consumer brands um, who've appeared. And so it is a really fragmented landscape, and therefore you have to be quite agile and adaptive to understand what's going on, whether it's in the bathrooms category, whether it's in the paint category, whether it's in the way people are selling kitchens, whether it's tiling and flooring, um, which I'm sure a number of people have just logged off uh, hearing about. But in terms of the breadth <laughs> and depth of choice, um, we have to be way more aware than just what's going on in the local big box, which is the, the way you describe a, a large store format. Yeah. And would you say, I mean, I think this is probably true of all retailers, but particularly, as you say, there is so much breadth in home improvement and um in many ways, quite kind of easy entry in some ways into into the marketplace. Would you say it's a bit of a, a battle, I guess, on balancing your long-term kind of strategy and goal, where you want to get to, with the more kind of defensive moves, I guess, as you're kind of meerkat <laughs> looking at what's coming your way? Yeah. 
I, th- I think with any organization, private or public, and we're a listed business as part of Kingfisher, there's always a tension between short-term delivery and long-term prospecting or long-term preparation. I, I think interesting, I'd like to sort of, I suppose this is to my to my role, and Chris, our strategy director on the board, often flips that equation around and says, actually, where's the strength in the short term by looking at the long term? So how do you break down what others are doing in, in potentially other sectors, other retailers doing other sectors or other, it uh, doesn't really matter, food services, it can be any industry that gives you inspiration. And then how do we break that down into something that mm. is really interesting in the short term um, and something that we could action within the next three months, six months to give us a uh, an edge, a different point of differentiation. So it, I think there is a tension there and I'm sure you find it in your own businesses. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd really like to build the brand for the long term, but there's also the reality of day-to-day trading and building category consideration. So if we're nowhere on we're nowhere on pain or if we're nowhere on kitchens, then there is no B&Q. So you just, you have to balance the two things. Yeah. And the balancing of all your children, basically, as you say, paints the bathroom and kitchen the timber they're, they've all got their own competitors so yeah long term mm. v short term and then all of the subcategories that's it <laughs> and, and, and everyone wants a piece of you as well and so i think it comes then down to a mindset and i know that you know we're here to talk you know, it's about internet retailing but one of the things i noticed from the podcast is people talking about leadership styles i think one of the mm. one of the things we remind ourselves uh, regularly on is is to try and remain as number one you have to think like you're number two and therefore what is it that's what is that edge that you're trying to find continually that allows you not to be complacent to make you think about how do I go and win and interestingly there are some there's some amazing retailers I'm I'm definitely I'm always keen to recognize what's good good practice in in our space or in other spaces and I think there are some really good uh, retailers out there in home improvement I think the opportunity and the point of differentiation for B&Q is that it's all together. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a second to think mm. of an example of that because it's, it's too good a zinger to say to be number one, think like number two. So I'm liking it, mm. but I kind of want to get an example. Um, so I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you one. one from our, I'll give you one straight away from our sister company. Oh, I gave you one second. That's, that, that's cheating. Oh, but this is—I mean, this is the joy of um, this is the joy of worrying yourself day in day out about how to win. You've got to be sort of envious, but with pride, if you like. So that's another saying. These—they're just. Oh my god! Screwfix is an absolutely epic business, um, mm. and there's so much to learn from their format, the way they approach their target audience and they've launched Screwfix Sprint so if you talk about looking outside of your industry they've taken the principles of customers um, want ultimate convenience time being consumers most precious commodity and even with the kind of constraints on consumer spending and consumer finance at the moment time I still think is probably the most precious commodity Screwfix have looked around and thought what's quick commerce what did Deliveroo do what's Just Eat doing mm. And they've said, now we're going to push a proposition which allows a tradesperson to order and get an order from Screwfix within 30 minutes delivered to the site. I mean, that is no longer whatever use case you might use. But, you know, if you're you're having a job done at home and you wonder where the tradesperson's gone for a couple of hours, 
your natural slightly cynical thought is well they're not working hard for me now the reality is they're desperately trying to aggregate all of their order into one place if Screwfix can handle bringing something to you that's a that's a great proposition and mm. people are prepared to pay for it because it's convenient so I think in that example, we would then challenge ourselves to say, well, with our business and our operating model, how can we offer that same level of convenience? And remembering that our product is, of course, we sell lots of the same things as Screwfix, but the reality is that being q also sell, sells big and bulky items. You can't put a fence panel on the back of a moped. So we have to think about what's the, you know, the mission, the urgency for someone to get that big and bulky item fix and it might just it might be next day but we'll always challenge ourselves to be faster yeah well i'm sure that uh, if you opened a branch in hong kong they'd they'd get it on the moped and that, <laughs> interestingly that is where our group ceo Thierry, pushes us which is brilliant he spent a long time in china and he, he said you know yeah. find a fix for time and you will find the sales come in mm. and he's absolutely right yeah. but also i think what you were what you were talking about earlier on is not just like a normal shop where it's uh, make it easy for you to buy a thing. Often when you buy something in B&Q, it's the start of a solution, not the end of a solution. So, you know, that time to value, time to pleasure, time to solution is also a factor rather than just have I bought 17 screws. It's how close am I to the pleasure of a new patio mm. or new shell. So there's quite an interesting aspect there that, well, a lot of retailers, you know, it's a, an in-out thanks to that purchase. In your case, there's a lot more planning and then maybe time with other people delivering on it as well. I think you touch on two really important parts as well about the business and the consumer journeys that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. The first is, as you talk about, it's starting a journey, it's creating inspiration. That's hugely important. And is a as a multi-channel business, and I see, you know, from the other people who, who've uh, spoken to you if i just take sarah selling rugs people want to touch and feel that stuff right and and mm. you want to get hold of it and it's the same for people buying flooring tiling uh, thinking about the finish what's the texture um how does what's the light reflection like that's not easy to sell online but you yeah. you're constantly innovating and developing tips and tricks uh, both ourselves and with the manufacturers to do that the yeah. the, the second thing is that I thought was potentially hadn't necessarily been at the forefront of our thinking was where was where had the emotion gone in the marketing and advertising for what is effectively a home improvement business. Mm. So yes. so we believe that anyone can improve their home to make life better. And the litmus test of that was when we got locked down into our homes. And very quickly it became apparent that people's homes were more than that they were becoming their castles and we noticed that the more we layered in emotion to the advertising the stronger the reaction it wasn't a time for us to put colleagues at the front and center of our marketing you know it's amazing to talk about our colleagues who bring such enthusiasm and expertise to the customer proposition but the reality is that customers improve their homes ultimately so they can enjoy their lives and we had we'd never really tapped into the memory building of it and so the mm-hmm. concept was that we came up with is was, was called to build a life 
and that was at the kind of that was the thinking behind all of the marketing communications that we drove with our ad agency Uncommon, and it's and it's given us the permission, I think, both internally to be slightly more free in the way that we encourage customers to come and build lives with us, but also it's allowed us to be more emotional in the way that we communicate to the to the UK. So let's let's look at that then, because um, uh, granted that um, we don't have uncommon here to talk for themselves we're talking about emotion we're talking about the inspiration (laughs) but at the same time we see on the date we're uh, recording this the bank of england says that around a million people are going to be spending 500 pounds a month more on their mortgages as of you know a couple of weeks from now so we're looking at uh, half a billion of money coming straight out of you know his britannic majesty's loyal subjects pockets um so there's emotion and there's crying your eyes out unable to afford your mortgage so you had the challenge of lockdown the boost of people investing in patios and their own space the drop as people go back to going out and eating the pickup of you know thank god it's all over the hammer hammer blow of mortgages i mean you know th- this is a roller coaster mm. so how how are you seeing the consumer changing in the last sort of month or two when they've slowly been realizing you know shock after shock and the prospect of you know maybe another 14 18 months of of turbulence how is that a registering on your radar and b then changing maybe how you're going to message yeah. and communicate with people that is it's a great question and it's at at its most interesting that's retail personified is how agile are you to react to the sentiment um that's outside of your control i think that we are in challenging times and we are definitely aware of our need to ensure that we are looking out of the window not in the mirror with our marketing communications and what i mean by that is listening super hard to what consumers are telling us and there's no surprise that customer confidence and consumer sentiment is dipping across retail and therefore what we need to do is make sure that we're ready for that and as you can imagine that hasn't started in the last day week hour month since the pandemic we've made sure that our business is as fit for purpose as it can be and so we've got initiatives like our prices nailed down campaigns which allow us to by looking at grocers and understanding how they're managing both the way in which they position themselves so that they can articulate how value is a focus for them but also the different ways in which you can give customers confidence that that they're being looked after Um, that led us to think about how we needed to to interact with our customers and interestingly it's quite hard for people to name the price of a pint of milk it's really hard to understand or to guess what the pot pot of paint costs. And therefore, what you have to do is try and give confidence about prices being nailed down to give them great value on those missions, on those um, projects that they're taking on at home. And that's worked really well for us. So what I've seen over the last, we've done five rounds of that now, and we uh, locked down prices for anywhere between two to three months on a range of SKUs, all linked to what the sort of projects of the time are. And we've seen 
the consumer perception of being used value for money significantly increase. And the reality mm, is that what we've done is we've spoken about it. So yes, we've been able to package uh, something up into a into a neat campaign. Um, but it's clearly got significant cut through because it's higher on the list of things that consumers are thinking about when they're making purchasing decisions, whether it be home improvement. I think what's interesting, just to go back to your point about customers crying their eyes out now, the motivation for build a life was not linked to value clearly. So um, we need to separate those two points though, one of which is building an emotional connection with the reality of our role in home improvement. Our role is to sell stuff and give you solutions for how you can improve your home. We're not there for the magic moments where you have a family supper or a birthday um, or you bring your firstborn home. They're the bits that should be. That's, a, that's, a, that's a family's moment. Um, what yeah. we should be is the trusted partner for doing that, whether it be around value creation or convenience or ease. That's, that's our role in that. Mm. So listen, I am impressed and enjoying this new set of perspectives around you, the listening to the customer, the uh, the nuances of the conversation. Uh, I'm particularly enjoying the range of references you're bringing into this, you know, not just Bill, a competitors. Here, there is no <laughs> but. There is no but. <laughs> and my favourite is that how many episodes of this podcast he's clearly listened to. I know. I know the, you the must be our number voices. one listener. I joined the <laughs> other six people. The stats. It was, I loved it. <laughs> yes, you and the yes. other six. Now, there is no but. The segue here is uh, to your background. Yeah. Mm. You see, I did that without a but. Seamless. So an interesting range of um, you know, customer-focused, industry-focused, trend-focused, bring it in, love the phrase. And that brings us back to your background. It isn't, should we say, dyed in the wool um, vertical retail. In the nicest possible way, Paddy, you, you've been around a bit. So give us the, um, draw us a line retrospectively and positively through your career, which has touched on uh, a number of areas, but each one of them you wouldn't have said, oh, the obvious next step is you're going to end up at B&Q. So just, just talk us through Paddy, the person, and how you got to where you are. Here's a career limiting moment, isn't it? Thank you, Ian, for doing that so elegantly. <laughs> I think the first thing I should say is I'm far older than I look. So thank goodness this is clearly just audio because uh, yes. I've, I've, I've had tenure uh, at a number of organizations. I think I, it, just looks, it just looks like I've jumped around. The, the eclectic nature of my CV, I think, is, is I'd love to say that it was brilliantly architected and I thought, so mm. deeply about what the right strategic moves would be for me um, to, to build up to where I am now. But I think the reality is that I have always been really, really intrigued by customer relationships going right back. My favorite job, and I've had some bad ones in the time when I was trying to earn money as a teenager, um, was in a spa shop. I loved it. I loved everything about so it. So by spa, you spa, mean uh, S-P-A-R, S-P-A-R than, not a spa. Right. No, I was very just different. checking whether you were selling. No. <laughs> Although, Epsom you know, salts exactly. and lavender oil. <laughs> or whatever else conjures up in one's imagination. Uh, no, it was S-P-A-R. So it, for those that don't know, it's a really local convenience store. Um, so a bit, bit like Tesco Express now. Um, and I loved that. I loved everything about it, facing up, pricing. I loved the fact that I got to put the first lottery 
machine. So Camelot, when it launched the lottery, I put the first lottery machine in our area in and taught the, the owner of the shop how to use it. I loved everything about it. I loved the people that came in every Saturday morning for bacon and eggs because that's how I'm cooking. And, I, and even though they were more challenging, I slightly loved the people that thought it was their opportunity to steal the bacon um, because it taught me more about the different types of people that were in the world. So I'd, since then, I've always been curious then about what the motivations are for the people you're selling to. And as we talk about um, different careers here in B&Q, the thing I always lead with is I don't care what your job title is, you're in sales. We are all in sales, whether it's influencing internally or whether it's trying to get customers to shop with you rather than choose the next person. Um, mm. Our responsibility is to try and create value. That's why we're in business. And I was very lucky to... I did some fundraising when I was working in schools, uh, which was an amazing way of understanding what the sales process was on a very personalized level. So I would be pitching to individuals based on their needs, their time. And I can tell you what really wealthy people always say, which is I'll give you whatever you want financially. I just can't give you any time. It's amazing um, to learn that yeah. quite Which is great because sometimes you just want their money. Well, yeah. <laughs> Cut short the conversation. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, I won't bother you anymore. Yeah. The, yeah. As soon as the check clears, we're not talking again. Which is absolutely not what happened. I mean, Ian, you, you would have lasted seconds in that sector. Um, <laughs> and then I was very lucky to go and work at TravelX, the foreign exchange and payments business. And I moved around within that business, supported by um, some of the senior team. And I was lucky enough to spend time with Lloyd Dorfman, who was the the founder and that was a i mean that was a grounding i've worked as hard as i could for him and later went back to work with him again and i did everything i could from carrying bags to writing speeches to running uk marketing and they were all at the same time and uh, so lots of my mates were going out having a laugh in the mid-20s and i was a geek uh leaving work late getting in early but just trying to crack on but i loved it mm. um I then sort of that was a private equity owned business under APAC. I quite liked the model. And so I went to another FX business and I went to WorldPay, which is a payments organization. And that had a really, had a really interesting ownership structure and with Bain and Advent. And I, I was super lucky to have great bosses. So Peter Jackson, Paddy Power, Betfair or Flutter, um, uh, I just think it's Flutterna. Had Dave Hobday, who runs the RAC, Lloyd, obviously. So I was learning from people who are industry leaders, and I was just clinging onto their coattails, mm. trying to keep up. And they were all brilliant in different ways. And I suppose I slightly stole or tried to copy as best I could what they were good at. All the time, I realised I was bringing the customer to the conversation. I was playing the reality. But you're bringing the customer to the conversation. In between carrying, you know, bags of cash back and forth. No, no, they were the bags of the boss. They were. I was literally carrying <laughs> the bags through the airport. <laughs> uh, oddest officer. Now, um, so there you were in FS, and there could be a glorious career in financial services, payments, etc., mm. etc. But then there seems to be a little shift. We think, oh, wh- why make life easy? Why don't I just change industry and go to Doddle, which is where we first met? So. What was the link where you go, oh, having been customer experience director at WorldPay, mm. why wait around to be CEO? I'll, I'll doddle off. 
Um, again, yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm so glad you said that, Georgia, because I couldn't, I couldn't comment on the, the joke. <laughs> um, I, truth to be told, there's own truth to be told. I mean, World Pay is a fantastic organisation. Philip Johnson, now about to leave BT, was running that business, and again, what a place to learn. Um, mm. I just, I wasn't getting enough emotional value from it. And that sounds really purist. I just couldn't quite, I couldn't see the customer. So you go and meet Tesco's and make sure that their time at the checkout when the payment processing was down to the slimmest sliver of time possible. And you make sure you've got no outages and you're, you never let the yeah. tech drop, etc. But there's only so many ways you can type in a four code password for your card at the time before contactless and i i so i'm, I'm not sure i'm gonna add but that was a client though rather than the end consumer well, that's it and i didn't so, so i felt this so sounds like that's where the heart and i think is. It, and i think ultimately it is taking me back to those um, days in the spa shop and i so when um so i catch up with lloyd and he said i've got this cool idea and this guy tim who's the ceo brought this brilliant idea about setting up Doddle, what do you think about aggregating all of the online purchases for people into one network so that people don't have to go to different locations to pick them up? I said, I think that's one of the greatest ideas I've ever heard. And no one sits between the carriers, the retailers, and the customers. What a place to pick it up. What I then realized is that the carriers and the retailers and the customers don't want to talk to each other. Why would they? Because mm-hmm. um, they've got you know defensive lines to protect. But but fundamentally i was i was i mean i was obsessed and i loved it and it was great to go back and work with lloyd and and tim and the team at doddle and and that was a that was an amazing opportunity what i did know i I think i learned two very significant things there the first was operationally intensive businesses are cool i like that we opened 100 stores in uh, 100 weeks and it and then quickly backtracked um so when you've got asos amazon uh, eBay is your sign-up clients. You're onto something, and you're you're doing something right. The, the kind of the challenge with that is what's the right model. Um, and then this, and then the second thing, I was in New York with Tim, um, the CEO, in the back of a cab at NRF, the retail conference, and we were talking about the business and saying, well, you know, what do we think? And I think a number of really good people uh, in the business had been kind of challenging us about what's the right model. And Tim just said, I think he said, we're a tech business, aren't we? It's not about physical space. It's about facilitating the interaction between those three things. So why, rather than fight everything, why don't we just facilitate it? And, I, and now, as I look at Doddle and its expansion globally and the relationships it's got with postal services and retail businesses and logistics specialists, it's fascinating and fantastic yeah. to see how well they're doing. But that was fulfillment tech. So I'm like, hang on, I've done payment technology. That's right at the end of the funnel, the basket. I've done fulfillment technology. Well, that's the next step up. I've been thinking about um, how I sell and market a really hard commodity product in foreign currency. I mean, there's not much you can differentiate on with currency, right? It's the same (laughs) everywhere. There's not much product innovation there until you start thinking about you know, mobile cards and, 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 and the way you can do bank uh, transfers. So all the time I was, I thought, Oh, hang on. I'm actually, I'm 
I've learned different parts of the way in which you get customers to buy things, whether it be online or offline. And that that allowed me to facilitate the conversation about whether it'd be mm. decent, semi-decent at marketing or semi-decent at e-com. And retail felt like the, that felt like the closest connection. And I thought I could go back and work in a spa shop, but the pay is not great. So let's see. <laughs> so hey, there's House of Fraser. <laughs> Although I'm slightly worried, Paddy, that you're on a journey where the next stop is to optimize shoplifting because we've done everything now apart from the guy who's pinching the bacon. <laughs> um, technology's moved on now. And I, and I also understand that the, um, the level of security in big retailers like ours yeah. is different to the one that we're running in Lancaster. I thought this is when you could announce Paddy's crypto exchange. Yeah. <laughs> Although shoplifting the kind of um, perpetual returns. Well, oh, I mean, that, well, there's definitely other brands you can speak to about that, but I, I'm always amazed how how much data people now use to look into the ret- I mean, on a slightly different thread, the yeah. data levels of yeah. understanding around that are incredible. So we've, we've reached retail. You have spent time at CMO House of Fraser, now still on the customer side at B&Q. And we were chatting before we hit record about just some of the incredible things that you're doing. I mean, um, you know, extending your SKU cover using marketplace approaches, you're looking at um, small format stores, part of that thinking, obviously, to get close to the customer as well as not yep. being hidebound by those. So as you look at what's left of your career after this chat, mm-hmm. <laughs> with apologies, by the way, for that, uh, as, as you look forward, what's exciting you now where you so, you know, you've got, you've spoken, I think, very eloquently about looking more broadly, connection with the customer, uh, you know, wanted to bring that to something you know there's six months left of the year what, what, what's exciting you when you hang up and then go back to work? I look up i think i think value um and all of the so what do you mean by value? value we're not talking price yeah, well, it's right? one of the features of value but i think really focusing on value for customers excites me the short term very very sensitive part of that at the moment is ensuring that you are pricing yourself in a way that really really is understood by customers and they know that they're getting value they're not wasting journeys whether it be online or to the stores with you so that's pretty fundamental in the short term i'm i'm really excited by our obsession around ease and convenience so as an organization we think that there is a huge opportunity in our category so in home improvement to and home improvement includes garden i should flag that as well so whether it's garden furniture barbecues these are big and bulky things if you make it easy to get hold of this stuff you are definitely going to be competitive and so we are obsessed day in day out about making the entire journey from the smallest screw to the biggest item as easy as possible and we will continue to and drive that as hard as we can and that manifests itself in a number of ways so you can be convenient by opening small format stores in um, dense population urban locations where you are just a step away from people's flats their homes and it brings the specialism of home improvement um, to to a broader uh, population i think that Clearly, with what we're doing online, value comes from not wasting people's time. So by offering broad choice 
is one of those ways that you can offer peak value. So any second gained back by a customer by not having to search different places, we think is a win. And marketplace has been the embodiment for us of offering broader choice um, as a as part of us trying to be agile and test and learn. And it will be one of our more successful tests. And clearly, we've tried some stuff that hasn't quite worked for us. Um, and Thierry's brought a great sense of that with Graham about the permission to try stuff and and fail being okay. And marketplace has, you know, Touchwood been excellent for us so far. It's already as the business uh, spoke of in in April time, it's already 27% of our total e-commerce sales participation. And so it's been for us a real way of winning new customers. And we see um, new customers coming to DIY.com every week because of that choice. And um, if, if we're brutal about this, we see some major marketplaces, those close to the beginning of the alphabet, where they will learn what's selling well and then perhaps invest in that themselves mm. with their own brand and so on so there's there's one question i'd ask about how is this helping your product your own product development and ranging thing and then the other side is if let's say george and i started selling our hand crocheted dog collars and they take off but we sell them on every single um, market where is your defensibility then if the manufacturers are selling themselves in retailers, in marketplaces, in secondary marketplaces. And so two questions. To what extent are you going to be building off your early suppliers? And secondly, how can you defend yourself against them yeah. turning around and leaving you in the lot? serious suddenly, didn't it? Crikey. It did, didn't it? One minute we're chatting yes. away, next minute is boom. I just wanted to ask if, if there was a dog-friendly office. <laughs> because i could hear dogs in the it's, background um, yeah. <laughs> i can hear seagulls on someone's line so i'm not quite oh yet. that's me i live in brighton ah, so everyone... <laughs> my neighbor has two very yappy dogs so oh it was you ian we are... we'll filter that out you've 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 opened the kimono now and what's happening no what i've podcast. done is endeared people to the realism of the podcast i mean it is very right. real you've also given paddy the time to an think. extra 90 seconds of thinking so very yes, good I'm of you, you guys are... hashtag you're welcome you Guys, I think I was, um, <laughs> as you can imagine, it might be an area I'm relatively well versed on, though. But I think the first thing is let's be, I'm not going to draw comparisons to other marketplaces. There's a few things that we need to be clear on. Number one is our opportunities to offer customers choice. And quite rightly, there are some rules about what you can and can't use to in prove your own commercial performance and we keep very clear boundaries between our third-party sellers who are on the market who are part of diy.com but are effectively marketplace sellers um, and then our products that we buy ourselves and we retail in the more traditional model and those two elements of the business are separate the best thing for us is that customers have choice and that they're spending more time on the site and our conversion rates improving and we're giving them the choice that they need and we're changing people's perception of being q i think that what will happen is it's made us able to trade on trend and what i mean by that oh, is um, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. able to be a bit more agile using the seller model and so whether it be air fryers whether it be um air con units whether it be um, paddling pools, whatever it might be, 
we're able to really react to the market quite fast, list fast, mm. um, and follow a trend without having to risk significant amounts of capital. Because our our investment is in traffic and ensuring that DIY.com has significant traffic share so that all of the sellers benefit from that. And then the link to your crocheted dog collars, which I would highly recommend you continue with, is quite a, it's a <laughs> expanding market, um, I am led to believe. Um, our job is not to guide you on crocheted dog collars. That is your area of expertise. Our job is to ensure that, A, we are offering this explosive level of growth in crocheted dog collars um, and we're harnessing all of that energy with a trusted brand and it brings us right back to why have consumers in home improvement been happy to follow B&Q with this uh, breadth of choice and we think that it's because there is huge trust in our brand when I look at the scoring for uh, awareness of the B&Q brand it is so high comparatively to other home improvement brands that the reality is we, we are in protection mode. We'll of course keep innovating, but we need but there is something so uh, built into the heritage of being curious where people got taken as kids. It's got all sorts of feelings for people and, and it, our job is to nurture and protect that because it's trusted. So when you then think about marketplace, one of the questions we're often asked is, well, what wouldn't you sell? Where won't you go? And at the moment, we've absolutely stuck to our core categories and we've gone deeper. So we offer more choice for the existing categories. And where we've had subcategories where we might have stepped outside, it might be with um, beds to supplement our bedroom furniture. We might have gone into mattresses. We're seeing total confidence, great brands come on board, uh, high levels of penetration, and that feels comfortable, but we are, again, listening twice as hard to what the consumers are telling us because the minute we lose the trust of what, of what customers expect from B&Q and DIY.com is the moment it's gone too far. So we're really, really aware of that. Fascinating. So you're not going to sell wardrobes and then go into a fashion business to fill the wardrobes yeah. afterwards. <laughs> I mean, the, the reverse example of that is... Um, the challenges that some of the just highly operational, brilliant marketplaces have with landing inspirational product here in the UK. So, uh, you know, Amazon is an amazing business. So, you know, we, we all shop there. It's You've got so much to learn from it. And fashion is an area where it's spent so much time and energy trying to understand. And it's 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 a hard category to break into. We absolutely know where our boundaries are. We are a home improvement mm. business. We help people improve their houses, their homes, their flats, their bungalows, whatever, and their gardens, their outdoor spaces, their balconies, their front doorsteps. Yeah. That is where we are good and it's where we're confident. And that will continue to be the kind of ethos behind our growth. Right. I am going to call it there, not because I want to, but because I'm just looking at the clock. And it's. I think what's interesting for me on this is despite the fact it's been a very friendly, open, chatty thing, there's a real tension that I'm going to take away with me, which is this idea we're big, we're good, but we're kind of you know, still plucky and fighting. I think there's that tension between knowing boundaries, but pushing those boundaries that um, I definitely want to reflect on. I think that's been 
a real surprise and phenomenally interesting. There's so many places to go. As my editor will tell me later, we didn't talk about um, staff skills, trading, uh, the store approach, so marketing, questions. customer, technology, trading dynamics, the world at large. So basically, I've failed. I'm sure everything. I have as well. Yet somehow, <laughs> somehow, it's been just a great conversation, Paddy. So, Although I did also realise, Ian, that I said last podcast that I was going to get some kind of sound effect for when we had a new acronym or amazing terms such as... Zinger, you know, meerkatting. Meerkatting, uh, you know, just because you're number one, behave like number two. I I, I've Fantastic. got to get the xylophone or something. Because well, listen, why don't, why don't we listen to it later uh, in the and gap add between adding in and pretend we thought of it? Can I do you a deal? So we were quite interested in the whole ASMR around um, <laughs> selling online, Ding. and so when we first oh did God. build a life and people were locked down, we gathered all we gathered a load of product together into a sound studio and we create we wanted to create basically a the soundtrack to an ad with a yeah. uh, an orchestra and a composer but by playing instruments which were instruments. fryers and air which yeah, were or, uh, like leaf blowers taps saws um uh, the sound <laughs> the sound of paint pots opening tins opening so we've got a library of sounds oh my god this is too good so we can hook up the ad agency so I'll, my brief will be can you kind of find the most plausible diy sound that is like yes. and also yes. mm, so like your gag about doddle you could yeah. you could yes, yes that needed the, the <laughs> wobble board of the saw <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um and we'll and that will be our gift to you for letting me come on and Thank chat you. to you Oh, wonderful. This has been the best. Fantastic. I think we just had to end on a massive thank you there, Paddy. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And I don't think anyone's ever left us with a gift before, do you reckon? No, on my our first. first podcast gift. But from now on, we require <laughs> gifts. <Yeah. laughs> Dear listeners. <laughs> Paddy, you've set a high bar. Lovely seeing you. Thank you so much. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs>